Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mornings with Ron. I'm so thankful for you taking some time out of your schedule this week to spend a little time with me as we continue on our passion series. I also want to thank all of you who have purchased my book so far. The book is available out on Amazon.com, and as of the 14th, it's also out on Barnes & Noble. And probably in the next couple of weeks, it's actually going to be a, uh, available in audiobook on iTunes, Audible, and uh, Amazon as well. So be on the lookout for that. And just a reminder that a portion of the proceeds of the book are being donated to Bring Smiles to Seniors, the charity that I started in 2016. So we've been doing an amazing series on passion, and we're talking to people from all walks of life about those things that bring you know, passion to their lives. And one of the things that I find fascinating about interviewing people who are passionate is that really all you have to do is ask the question, and they do the hard part for you. And the feedback I've received from all of you are that you're learning things about people that you know, that you didn't know certain things about them that you're hearing. And you're receiving inspiration from people hearing the things that they do that are inspiring you to do things in your own life. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's really what the podcast was all about. More people are listening. I'm very happy about that as well. So we're going to continue the, the passion series for some time because it seems to be something that's resonating with people, especially what we're dealing with in this COVID situation. So today we have one of my heroes and my little brother, Dennis Tyson, on our podcast to talk about his passion for painting and specifically plein air painting. So all the way from California, welcome to the podcast, Dennis. Happy to be here. So before we get started into talking about your painting, you also have a very interesting day job. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about that? I run operations for a company that uh, builds homes and schools and housing projects and homeless shelters out of uh, shipping containers. And it's, you know, it's interesting. We import, you know, somewhere around 11 million um, shipping containers a year, but we only export around 8 million. So there's always this kind of 3 million surplus of these containers because it's much cheaper for China to reproduce them than it is to try and ship empty containers back to China to be reused again. Single trip dry goods containers are what we use and um, we get to turn them into really cool dwellings for, for people. When it's for good cause, it's even better. And uh, it's a really fun place to work. Yeah, I've seen some of the pictures of the the places that you've done, especially uh, I think specifically the one I saw of the school. And it's when you see them, it's almost like you'd never even realize it was a shipping container. So I think they're pretty cool. Yeah, when you're inside it, of course, yeah, you definitely don't have any idea that you're uh, that you're in a shipping container. From the outside, I mean, the uh, aesthetics can actually be pretty uh, pretty interesting. I mean, I, I would I would totally build my house out of them. I mean, they're super efficient. So, yeah. Well, maybe I'll be contacting you when retirement come up, comes up someday. And <laughs> yeah, when you're, I'll be, when you're ready to one downsize. Of yeah, let's uh, <laughs> need let's, to downsize for sure. Let's build something out of shipping containers. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, when we were kids and, and growing up, you always had a passion for painting and, and you used to paint like all kinds of things. And I, mom and dad still have some of them hanging around the house. And now I know it's all about plein air. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't even know what plein air painting is. So can you just explain it and, and kind of tell us how you got started? I remember, um, you know, Ruth, she owned the art store in town. 
I started going there and taking some oil painting classes and they were really, they were kind of, kind of Bob Ross style classes, but it was a, it was an introduction anyway to, to the whole thing. And then I fostered that a little bit in high school. Once Mr. Bailey saw that I had a little bit of talent, he kind of uh, made sure every semester that I was in his art class and he would show me a few things here and there. And, you know, it was one of those classes where unfortunately people would take it because they thought it was an easy grade and um, they weren't really interested in being in there for art. So so when you actually showed some <laughs> some aptitude and interest, uh, Mr. Bailey was like all over you. So because <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. it, you know, it kind of made kind of made his day that somebody actually cared. And then, uh, you know, it kind of sketching and drawing. I remember, you know, mom and dad would go places and sometimes they would come back and they would bring, you know, little art kits and pencils and paper. And uh, they always seemed to, I, I think about this all the time, Ron, you and I are so lucky that we had parents who whatever we were into, they were into. And yeah, no they, question. they made sure that if we showed an interest in something that they helped us pursue it. And that uh, I see so, so often people talk about that doesn't exist for them. And uh, I just can't imagine a life outside of that. So anyway, they, they would keep feeding me art supplies. And it seems like I've always had a sketchbook somewhere. I talked about sketchbooks recently about even if you only fill a few pages, like I probably have a dozen that have 10 to 20% of them filled and I don't know why, but when I go into an art store, I have to pick up another sketchbook, even though I have hundreds of pages of unused sketchbooks. Um, I guess there's just something something about it. But it's like a fresh start. It's like a fresh start, yeah. It's like, I'm going to really do it this time. I'm going to fill this book. <laughs> and then you don't. So you try again. <laughs> I went to art school for that really short period of time. I think that was probably, even though commercial art is not something that I pursued, it was more about the characters and the people I met there and seeing their passions for what they were doing and getting the opportunity to to paint with and kind of become friends with uh, William Cumming out in Seattle was really a pivotal moment for me where I kind of knew at that point that painting it in some way was going to be, was going to be a big part of my life. And because he not only helped me to see what was in me, but kind of gave me permission to express it. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but um, yeah, definitely. It's yeah, it's it's two different things to recognize it and then to actually feel like you can do something about it. So off and on, you know, I I painted, and what's really funny is as I was thinking about all of this and and trying to anticipate what crazy questions you might ask me. Just it, wait. <laughs> it makes you process, right? And so, uh, it's a bit of a crazy journey how I got to where I am right now. But uh, it, if you don't mind, I'll just go, I'll express it. Go for it. There's a time period where um, painting for me was kind of associated with pain because, you know, I went, I went through a difficult period where life was challenging. I made bad choices. There were just a lot of, a lot of things. And, and at that, at the same time, all of that was going on. I was also extremely really immersed in art, almost, almost too far. You know, I'd never made good grades my whole life. And so now I found myself in art school making straight A's and the school was putting me on a pedestal and, recognizing my efforts. And then I started working for the school and 
but through through all of this, I mean, it was a I can't describe what a breakdown looks like, but I I definitely came to a point where physically and and mentally and emotionally I was like spent. So I took a step back from it for a really really long time, and I think I didn't continue to pursue it on a really deep level because I was kind of afraid that, you know, is it even possible that I can go down that road again without sort of losing myself? It was really Debbie who gave me permission, so to speak. It all started with, um, I got this French easel. You know, the boys and I had gone to Serbia and on our way home from Serbia, we stopped over in Paris. We spent hours and hours and hours walking around Paris and we walked along the Seine River there. And there were all these artists who were out painting and, you know, families sitting down on the concrete along the river, enjoying a meal together or wine and cheese. And I mean, I, we saw all of it, but I was so inspired that I wanted to get one of these French easels when we got back to the States. And so I got one, I think mom bought it for me for Christmas. And then it sat in my room in this red canvas cover and I would walk by it and I would see it like every day. But there's, there was just this fear in me that was like, do I really want to start down that road? It was my wife who said, hey, you, you have nothing to be afraid of. You know, you, you need to, to give it a go. And so I, so I did. I uh, just went out to this local pond and started to paint. And then kind of the, kind of the, rest, is, uh, the rest is history from there. I know that was a long way to get long, long route to get to your answer, but um, <laughs> that's right. Can you just tell everyone what plein air actually means? I'm, I'm assuming that's a French word for something. Yeah, that was actually the first question you asked me, and I went on that tangent. But um, <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it just means it, it is French. It just means in the open air. It was really the um, kind of the impressionist and the post impressionist who began to kind of foster that whole idea of painting outdoors, painting on location. And I mean, it had been done before, like uh, Rembrandt and Renaissance period, those guys would actually go outdoors and set up these large screens where there was like this wire grid. And they were so concerned about accuracy that they would actually view the scene through a wire grid and then transfer that grid to their canvas and make sure they captured every quadrant every section of that grid exactly accurately. And uh, post-impressionists were actually, or, or the impressionists in general and the post-impressionists, but they were going out into nature and reacting to it. So they were, they were like immersing themselves in it and their paintings would be very reflective of, you know, how they were feeling and what they were seeing. And, and I mean, they, they just really began to use it to express. And obviously the most famous who painted outdoors that we all hear about is, is Vincent van Gogh. And, but that's really where Monet and uh, Renoir and all those guys were, all those guys were doing it, and it sort of kind of started the movement. And what what was really interesting to me is while all of that was going on over there in uh, France, it was actually going on in the United States as well. So there was also a lot of plein air painting that was kind of getting started, and I had never, I didn't even know that 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 existed. But um, yeah, so that's kind of how it how it all started, and now we're just. Uh, those of us who do it now, we're just kind of fostering, fostering it for the next generation, so to speak. So, you know, it's pretty amazing because you were talking about um, how kind of pain became passion. And I know if you look at some of the greats, you, you know, Van Gogh cutting off his ear and all kinds of stories about artists and either the pain they were going through that came out on the canvas for some reason, or 
you know, something that was driving them to paint. And a lot of them, you know, were poor until their art became famous after they were gone. What do you think is integral to the work of an artist? Really all about having an overwhelming desire to to learn because we all see things as we see them. And, you know, most everybody enjoys a sunset, but not, ev- not any, everyone can really kind of articulate why they enjoy the sunset. And so when you have a, a real openness to learn, and it's interesting, my friend Michael Chamberlain, um, he's a fellow YouTuber that I've, you know, I met before I moved well, I met him online. That's what we call meeting these days. But I, I met him prior yeah, to, prior true. to moving to California. Now we've painted together a couple times since I've lived here. And he had a, a video this week that was kind of knocking on this topic of should artists go to school? Should they learn on their own? And you know, I think if you have a passion for learning, I would say that's probably the like the number one ingredient because nobody starts with a masterpiece. It's really studying it's it's all visual so um and we could go like deep into this whole <laughs> flip-flop of right brain right brain left brain and like what happens you know when you're painting and when you're planner painting it's uh it's this like subconscious jump between the two it's kind of crazy but when you observe art and you decide what is it about this that i like I mean, that's really how you start to learn how to paint. You see something expressed in someone else's painting and you go, man, I really like that. I wonder how they did that. I wonder what colors they used to mix that. And you, so you start working through all of those things. And I made this comment on on his video today that, uh, you know, I kind of liken it to the statement that Ben Hogan made when people would ask him, you know, how did you get your golf swing? And he would always tell them that, he dug it out of the dirt. And, and that's that's literally what he did. I mean, he he dug it out of the dirt. He went out on the golf course in some remote corner of it and he hit the texture off of the golf balls. He would practice so much. And he I mean, he literally did dig it out of the dirt. And if you have a passion for learning and you find yourself and, and you like you think you want to paint, then you're like you're like a perfect candidate because it's one of those things like the more you learn, the more you want to learn. And once you get in, it sort of begins to drive you. Let me ask you, because um, before we go any further, I want to make sure I get this right. So what's the correct pronunciation? Is it plein air or plein air? Plein air is the, uh, plein air. Is, is the okay. correct. Almost everybody says plein air. <laughs> so, <laughs> plein, but, it, plein, but you should say plein air. In French, plein it's, plein, it's plein. Yeah. Plein, yeah. Okay. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I think one of the beautiful things about painting outdoors, and when you lived in Michigan, you used you recently moved to California, but in Michigan, you got to see all the seasons, right? Um, And I know I've seen your paintings, and there's stuff in summer and stuff in spring and stuff in fall. Now that you made the transition to California, where there's not there's probably just one season, pretty much (laughs) in California. How's that changed how you approach your work? I like the juxtaposition of nature that's sort of in the context of existing in this urban environment. Um, what I'm noticing that I've, I'm super attracted to is like right now there are like all these purple trees that are in full bloom and I'm really wanting to be out there painting them and they exist in all of these really strange places like along the street and right behind them is like this warehouse and there are all of these real interesting things where you you see these beautiful flowers and this 
gorgeous nature that exists in an urban environment. And I find the the fact that the two of those are together and, and I'm, the other thing that I'm just really super attracted to are lifeguard towers. And I don't really know why, because they look like alien, <laughs> they look like alien spaceships or something, but when they're up on a, up on a cliff in Malibu or, you know, down on the beach, I was actually repairing and kind of working on a painting today that I did down on the beach here in long beach of, of a lifeguard tower. So I think, yeah, it's just, I'm absorbing it all very differently. And, and, um, if I was to specialize in, in something, I really don't have re- any idea at this point what that might be. Like, I know my friend Michael really likes the rocky cliffs as they descend into the water and kind of rock out- outgrowths that are in the water. He really likes painting along the shoreline and kind of focusing on that. I find the, a, the broader view, I'm a little more attracted to like a longer distance of beach line or things like that. So there's no shortage. I was going <laughs> to say no shortage of places to paint. No, I think in the California no, right. area, you can get beaches, mountains and Lake Tahoe. And it's like all kinds of stuff. I'm sure. Yeah. I was just painting in Tahoe last weekend. It was incredible. Uh, had one of my favorite places had no idea, had no idea. I mean, I, I don't know why, you know, driving, between here and there and going on that eastern edge of the Sierras, I, I could have painted for a solid week between here and there. And like I could have done two paintings a day and never got tired of any of it. It was just so absolutely incredible. Stunning terrain, that's for sure. Yeah. So then as painters and paintings, you know, obviously have been around since the beginning of time, it seems like. So what, what role do you think that um, artists play in society? I, I think... You know, art is art is enduring, like very few other things. And I mean, it obviously it it changes and goes through. You know, there are all these all these eras of painting, and some of them just continue on, and others kind of come and go. And I think when people look at art, I think what they see, and and probably why why they're so attracted to it is they everybody sees some of themselves in art, and I don't, I don't know what it is about. Like when I go to an art gallery and I'm just viewing, I'm just walking around viewing paintings and viewing art. Artists have a way of showing you something that you've seen every day, but in a different way. And I think that's probably what people are attracted to and why art is so sustainable is because, um, you know, I can tell you from experience, like what you said earlier about, um, you know, painting all the different seasons and Michigan. I mean, in reality, I often say that painting sort of, sort of saved me because I had a really difficult time with the winters um, in Michigan. Debbie would just start feeding me vitamin D in October and make me take it every day because it it really had a huge impact on me. And I didn't even want to go outside in the winter. Didn't want to have anything to do with it. Didn't want to be part of it. It was just uh, I just wanted to get through it. You know, it was gray and a lot of snow and all of that. But I, but until I started painting it, then I actually developed a, like a passion for, for, I couldn't wait to get out in it and paint it again. So it completely changed my, changed my mind around. I mean, I mean, I was walking out into kind of swampy areas on ice that you couldn't even get to in the spring or the summer if you wanted to. And so I was discovering all these different parts of Michigan around me. And I, you know, rarely traveled more than 30 minutes from where I lived but I was discovering all this 
beauty that I had no idea even existed. And I was actually refusing to look at it until I started painting it. And the, the act of painting itself is so, you, it makes you look at things differently. This is my favorite part about it is in order to paint something, it's not a casual glance. You have to really, really look at it. It's like, it's like a shadow. It's like when you look at a shadow, you just dismiss it as a shadow. But if you really look at a shadow, there are like reflected lights, they're reflected color within the shadow. So there are all these different layers. And when you start peeling them away, and, and I have to tell you, once you start seeing on this level, you, you can't unsee it because then <laughs> it's there for life, right? That's yeah, the it. whole the whole world around you changes and you see everything differently. But that's what that's what it is. I mean, it's it's seeing things on a different level. And I really think that's why, you know, people are attracted to art is because they see it differently through the eyes of the artist, so to speak. Are there any particular artists, either in the plein air world or, you know, artists in history that have had a particular influence on you? Gauguin, I've always, uh, uh, since I've discovered him anyway, had a huge, huge impact on me. I think more than the paintings themselves, it's more Gauguin's nature, I think, is why why I enjoy him so much. You know, he, he was basically giving the French bourgeoisie the finger and said, I'm going to go paint what I want and I don't care what you think about it. So it's, I think it's really his, you know, I mean, when he first came back from Martinique or... Um, Tahiti, where he was painting, he he really expected to be a raving success, and instead they laughed at him, you know, and and they were like, you know, why is this dog red, as an example? Mm. And he would say, don't you understand? The dog was mad, so that's why the dog was red. And uh. so there was a color begin to it meant more than a representation of a thing. It actually had emotion, and this was like the first time this was kind of being expressed was, you know, color can make you feel something more than just representing something. And so those are all the reasons why I like Gauguin probably more than, you know, his, the paintings themselves. Uh, Pierre Bonnard would be my, probably my absolute favorite. And I enjoy his paintings because there's, um, there's such a huge depth of character in them that uh, there's so many colors that exist in all of these kind of small scattered ways, but they come together to form a coherent painting. But when you start to examine them like really close up, it's, it's kind of crazy because you're just like, Oh my gosh, this looks like he took a rag out of his pocket and started scrubbing like he painted. And then he just blurred it all with the rag and then, and then painted some over it. And there's this great story about him going to the Louvre and, um, he was quoted as saying that the the best thing in the Louvre were the windows because he was a huge fan of uh, of windows and a lot of windows exist in his paintings and the way the light comes in and reflects and creates shadow and all these different things and and so he uh, but he had a painting that was hanging in the Louvre and it's sort of when you look at his paintings you can understand you know sort of why he feels this way because he would just hang this huge canvases just raw canvas no frame or anything on his wall and just start painting and he would just work on it forever but he had his uh um, his studio mate go with him to stand his guard while he took a little oil kit out of his pocket and continued to work on his paintings while they were hanging in the louvre which is kind of crazy <laughs> yeah I, yeah i uh i've actually been to the louvre and you know walking through the the galleries 
I look at all these paintings and some of them, you know, some of them are just huge and you have these little tiny ones and then you figure out and how did they put everything that they felt into this, like this little canvas? I mean, people think that the Mona Lisa is the size of a building. And then when you get in there, it's really, I don't know. I don't even know if it's eight and a half by 11, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a pretty, pretty small. small, pretty small picture. But, um, yeah. and having been to many galleries, I always thought, like what a feeling it must be for an artist when they walk in and they see their paintings hanging on the wall. And I know you've been featured a few times in galleries. What What's that experience been like for you, you know, to walk in and see your pictures hanging there? You know, I, I find it kind of a, kind of a strange thing. And when I, when I've gone to gallery openings, I actually find it to be quite uncomfortable, mainly because I feel so exposed and here's the really crazy thing. You know, I, I don't know. I have way over 200 YouTube videos. Like, is that not exposure? I mean, I mean, I paint on <laughs> right. YouTube and I'm, I'm opening myself up to anyone in the world to comment and say whatever they want about what I'm doing. And I don't even think twice about it. Going into a gallery and seeing six, 10, 12 paintings hanging there, it just feels really different. And maybe it's because it's just, it's up close and personal. For me, I know some people love it um, that I've met. It's, uh, it's a huge feed to their ego. I, I, guess, I guess what's hard about it is here's, here's something that you know artists struggle with. And uh, this is a, a, a dialogue that I have internally and with other people is you know, some artists paint to paint and some artists paint to sell. There's a you know, those who are doing it for a living and making a good living painting, I, I applaud them 100%. And my friend Michael is actually one of them. And he's making lifestyle choices that allow him to do that. But it's an internal battle where if you, if you went, and, here's an example. If you, if you went and painted a barn, but you weren't really into barns, but you just happened to be painting at a place with other people where there's a barn and you paint it and then all of a sudden people go, oh my gosh, you're so good at barns. That that barn is just amazing. And then this person buys your barn. And you're like, oh, okay, that that was kind of nice. And then so you think, oh, maybe I should uh, maybe I should go paint another barn. But you're not really into barns. But you go paint it anyway, then somebody buys it. Well, I think there's this there's this internal struggle where, like, is that what I'm to do? Am I to paint barns because people buy them, even though I don't really care about painting barns? And so being true to to what you want to do is like the hardest thing, especially if people start liking something that maybe you don't want to do. <laughs> I, yeah, don't I know what you mean. Isn't that by... crazy? It's it's a real it's a real mind twist. It's like it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I know what you mean by feeling exposed. You know, I kind of went through the same thing when I was getting ready to release the book. I almost felt like I was having a panic attack because. I think, you know, I, I had these pages in front of me and it was finally in, in layout form. And then I got the co first copy of the book and I'm thinking, is anyone even going to read this? And there were times when I was going through the editing process where I just had to walk away from it because I started questioning, you know, my capabilities and whether or not I was doing the right thing and whether I was really that good. Was anyone going to read it? And, and, and it's a different art, you know, that in my case, it's writing. But I certainly understand from, you know, an artist's perspective in a gallery that it's, it's, it's pretty similar. You're putting yourself out there, which yeah. means you're also opening yourself up to um, reactions from people 
whatever that might be, which is one of the, the next things I wanted to ask you is, do you have a, a memorable experience of a reaction that you had to one of your pieces of art? Like, um, like my own reaction to it? No, someone else's. Oh, like someone else's reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I remember, um, well, I, I guess there are a few, you know, I remember one time I painted, uh, I painted this cowboy. Um, this was a long time ago. It wasn't plein air. It was when I was painting a lot differently, but I painted this cowboy and this lady came up and was talking about just how much it reminded her of her son who was no longer with us. And she ended up buying the, buying the painting. And it's interesting how you, uh, you create something and you just have no idea when other people see it, what do they see, you know? And that was really interesting. And then, um, there was, uh, there was another painting that I painted in a marsh in Michigan that someone actually told me that when they were viewing it, it actually just brought them to tears because of, um, something that it triggered from their childhood. So yeah, that those, those kind of reactions are it's completely unexpected because you just don't know. I mean, you're you're only painting what you see in front of you and you really have no idea what when other people see it, what it's gonna mean. Well, I can tell you for me from from the receiving end, you know, for me, obviously it was when you did the painting for of the uh ice truck up that we used to go to up in Hawaii. Yeah. We were going to Hawaii every year. If you remember that Christmas when I took that picture out of the box, yeah. Um, I lost it. Yeah. You know, because those trips were special. The place was special. It's some place that we always went to. And all of a sudden, all of that memory was right there in front of me on this canvas. Right. Um, and it was it was so moving that it's it's rare that I would have a piece of art move me like that. But you know, that piece, that was uh yeah, that was some morning. Yeah, that goes um that goes full circle back to the question you asked me earlier. You know, that's you know, art has that ability to transcend. And uh, you you just don't know when or where something like that's going to trigger something like that. Do you have a, a dream project, like something in your head to say, oh, man, I would really like to go and paint in this one particular place or this one particular scene? Is there something in your head that you really want to do? Yeah. Um, I have this friend, this YouTube friend, uh, Nigel Beard, who actually lives over on the east coast of England. He lives in paints every day. He's retired. Um, I think he uses the word lorry driver. I think that's a truck driver. Yep, that's it. Um, yeah. yeah, he um, he's retired now. And so he gets to paint every day. And But I mean, he lives and walks and paints. And this, you know, that east coast of England is like where Turner lived. And there's ca- that whole kind of maritime uh, Cornwall, like the whole yeah, Cornwall area and all that. Yeah, that whole area yeah. is just—it's it, like it's like number one on my list of of uh, like last summer. It seems like every time I tried to plan, because he, he really wants me to come over and paint with him, and every time I try and plan the trip, some major life thing was happening. So, like the one time I was trying to do it, and I was, um, you know, all of a sudden unemployed, and then I was trying to do it again, and then I moved to California. And so uh, I was going to, I was planning to try and do it right now, this time of year and we're locked up in COVID. So um, it's, uh, but it's definitely would be my, my dream trip to spend a week painting with Nigel over there on the East coast of England. 
Well, if that's yeah. the case, then I know you are a, a Downton Abbey fan also. You have to check out the series Pole Dark. Pole Dark? That's filmed in that area. Oh, okay. Yeah, P-O-L-D-A-R-K, and it's filmed in Cornwall and that whole part of England. Wow. And the, the scenery and landscaping in the filming of the series is just absolutely incredible. So go and definitely go and check that out. All right, I will. Yeah. I know um, for several years, uh, you've been working hard to grow your YouTube channel. You you mentioned that. And if yep. if you haven't, those that are listening, haven't checked it out, you need to go and check it out. It's Dennis Tyson, Plan Air. Growing a channel and you know doing the videos for the channel and all of that is a, a lot of work. And what's, what's it been like to grow that? What's interesting is that, uh, and I'm sure that you can relate to this, but I, I think back to the very first time I hit record on the camera and how difficult that was. I carried that GoPro with me for months before I could actually force myself to hit record and actually put something on film and upload it. At this point, what's really happened is I'm not sure that I'm able to separate the two. The process is so integral where when I'm painting, I'm filming, it's become a an important part of uh, of my whole process. And I, I've tried to like force myself to just take my stuff and go out and paint without having to worry about filming, but I just can't do it. I know it's really strange, but building it has been really interesting. I think I would tell you my favorite thing about the whole journey is, uh, well, number one, it's like this discovery of self because you go and you paint and you capture video and then you come back and you edit it. And then you, you're like thinking about the edit and then you post it and then you're like, you sort of live it through comments and things and people talking about it. And there are all these touch points with the process that really, I think, creates a dynamic of accelerated growth, both as a person and as uh, as an artist. And so it's like really, really hard um, because as you and I know, not everybody understands the back end of all of this social media stuff. <laughs> But, right. you know, yeah, for there's, sure. there's a tremendous amount of work involved after the event is over. Just going and painting for three, four hours isn't enough. Then there's there's the editing and the editing and the editing and the posting. And all of that takes, you know, a tremendous amount of time. And But um, it's the people that I've met in the journey that that make it so special. People like Nigel people like Christoph in Australia and uh, Marta here in California, you know, who followed me on YouTube from the beginning. And I got to have dinner with her because she lives right out here in Riverside, you know, meeting Michael, who we communicated through YouTube and we've painted together out here. It's just this, it's this larger community of people. And, you know, I work really hard to foster that community. And so it really, uh, it pays off because, you know, I consider people that I've never personally met, pretty close friends, which is strange, right? <laughs> and that's, a, that's the beautiful part about it. Same here. You know, people who have listened to my podcast, I, I don't even know, but I'll get messages from them. Were you in my head this morning? This is like exactly <laughs> what I needed to hear. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. uh, actually, I wasn't. But <laughs> I have, before I get into my James Lipton questions, I have two more questions for you. Okay. Um, you know, as you know, I have several pieces of your work hanging in my house, and this is becoming the Tyson Museum, basically. And <laughs> you still have a piece that I want with the the, with purple. the purple flowers yeah. that you did in Michigan. Yeah, and all of them kind of speak safe. to me in different ways. 
It's safe. Okay, good. Yeah, it's safe. Oh, it hasn't been sold. No. If you were one of your paintings, what would you want your work to say? So if I walked up to one of your paintings in the house and you were that painting, what would you want to say to me? Um, wow, that's a really hard question, Ron. Um, that's why I ask it. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I was one of my paintings, what what would I want to say to you? I don't know. I, the, the phrase that the phrase that comes to mind is um, is like I see you because it's um, each one of those each of the, those paintings uh, that are. If I think about the two in your bathroom, you know, there's there's this story behind every one of them, you know, and and when you physically stand there in that location and and paint those, there's when I look at them, I I see. It's almost like being transported back in time because I remember every little detail about the day and whether it was cold or whether it was warm or whether it was cool and there was a warm sun or uh, like all of those little details I remember. So I guess, I guess that's the thing that I would want to say is that I see you differently than maybe it's that, that I, I see you differently than other people see you. Yeah. And maybe, and it's almost is that too philosophical like it, or <laughs> <laughs> not really. It, it's almost like, um, you you want the person to feel what you were feeling yeah, that day exactly. when you were painting it, you know, yeah. and uh, that that's kind of that's kind of what your paintings do when you're standing in front of them. It's like, oh my, I could picture myself in that field yeah. where he was painting, or I could picture her in that environment, or that you know whatever the temperature was outside or whatever for that day. You can feel that it was cold, or you can feel that it was hot. Um, yeah, and I think that that's certainly the beautiful thing uh, about art. Do you think you'll always be in the plein air world or do you think your art will evolve into another medium over time? I I always think that when I have more time, whatever that is, <laughs> I, that I will, you know, I will balance plein air painting with studio painting because I really have this overwhelming desire to do larger studio paintings. It's just such a large time commitment to do that that I, uh, I haven't started, haven't started anything like that, but, and I'm, you know, I'm talking about like 30 by 40 and much larger pieces that I really, really have a desire to do. And I would like to paint those based on some of my plein air work, um, that I really like, it would be great to transpose those into much larger paintings. So, yeah. Well, there's no question that your passion for painting comes through not only in your work, um, but certainly in uh, in your voice and and you can hear it. Um, I always end my podcast, you know, I always say James Lipton was one of my favorite interviewers from inside the actor's studio. I, yeah. I could listen to him <laughs> for hours. And so he always asks a series of questions at the end of his interviews. Um, and so that's what I do. So I'm going, I have four questions for you. Okay. Um, what is your favorite word? My favorite word is cool. <laughs> You do like cool. <laughs> yeah, I do like cool because I think it just, I think it express, it just, it's like, it's the best way that I can like express when I'm super happy about something. And yeah. what makes you happy? God, there's so many, so many answers to that one. I don't know. When I think about happiness, having a loving family in, uh, and I, that is not a cop out answer that I sincerely, I sincerely feel that way. Um, especially in today's world. Um, I think it's, uh, it's an incredible blessing to have, have uh, such a loving family. And if you could have any superpower, what would it be? 
Um, if I had a superpower, I think it would be like not to age. I would want that. I would want that. I'll join that one with you. (laughs) Being only 15 months ahead of you, I'll take it. (laughs) Other than your current craft, what would you most like to do? Well, you know, meaning job wise. You mean if I wasn't doing the job I'm doing? Yeah. Is there anything that you would like? You would dream to do? Yeah. If I if I if I could paint and make videos every day, that's what I would do. Um, But that's my. What's interesting about where I'm at is that I I believe that is like where I'm headed. So I get to sort of prepare for that now. So when I get to that point, I can feel like I can actually accomplish something where I'd like to teach others. And I'd like to, there's so many things that I would like to do around art. But you know, it's what's crazy is, I don't know. I don't know if you knew I was I'm building another airplane. I didn't. Or not, but. Um, you know, aviation has always been a huge passion of mine and, and there's something about the process of aircraft building that is very, very therapeutic. And even on a different, it's so linear that it's very different than painting. And so I think by having a construction project and all the other things I do, it creates a really interesting balance in me. And I find that I'm much more, I'm a lot happier when I'm doing both rather than just one or the other. Yeah. They gave me a little corner in the shop where I could set up a and start building. It's very similar to the one I built 15 years ago, the the woodwind fabric covered. When I talked to Par- talked to Parker, if I could somehow transport myself and I would never be able to do the math that he does. But when he and I talk about aeronautical concepts, it, I just love it. I mean, I love every single minute of it. So what's interesting is I, I can understand nearly everything that he talks about on a conceptual level. I could never tell you the why and the how. Like he can, like he can, but understanding it on that level, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now and I could be involved in that world somehow, that would be, uh, that would be super cool. And for those that don't know, Parker is, um, Dennis's son and, um, my nephew. So there you go. My brother paints, my brother builds airplanes, my brother (laughs) is a pilot, my brother builds houses. And you see why at the beginning of this podcast, I said that, um, <laughs> that my brother is my hero. I don't think there's, I think there's not much that you can't do uh, for that matter. And that kind of runs in the Tyson family, it seems like. Yeah. So I really, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your passion about painting with us today. I think uh, not only did we hear your passion, but I think we learned a lot about painting and, and what drives you to do what you do. If you haven't yet, as I said, you need to go out and check out his YouTube channel. It's Dennis Tyson Plan Air. And he also has his website, DennisTysonPlanAir.com. And there's some samples of his paintings out there. So um, I really, really appreciate you being with us today, Dennis. Yeah, for sure. And uh, let's talk like this more often. Yeah. I will. I, I, I'll, I'll join you on your podcast anytime. And I would be happy to have you anytime. All right. So there you go. Another episode of Mornings with Ron. I hope that something we've said in this podcast is something that you can take and use as you navigate your own life path. It's so cool. To, well, I'm using my brother's word now. It's so cool <laughs> to hear people talking about their passion and the things that they love and the things that drive them just to live and enjoy life. And that's really at the end of the day, what life is all about. So until next time, thank you for so much for being with us. Um, I appreciate you listening in and I hope that you stay happy, safe, and well. Mm-hmm.